take your Bibles tonight. Thank you for honoring my beautiful wife and my family. The book of Esther. Chapter 3. As we have just started the festival of Purim. You're like, Pur what? All right, we'll, we'll tell you about it here in just a second. Started at sundown for Jews all over the world. So we're going to continue uh, in the series, Esther 3, and then we'll go to Esther chapter 4. Esther 3, verse 8. Going to continue in a series called The Anointing and the Anointed. And uh, we've been doing a series of messages along those lines about the anointing. And this is about how God used an adopted girl by the name of Esther to save a whole nation. One girl. One little girl. Esther chapter 3 and uh, verse 8 through 11 first. Then Haman said to the king, there's a certain people dispersed among the people's in all the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them. And I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for for the royal treasury. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Verse 11. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Go to Esther chapter 4 and find verse 12. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the grace of God tonight. Your power, your presence, people healed, people touched. Come by your anointing tonight. Put a grace upon me. Put an unction of heaven upon me to give me the words to speak, Lord, that burn faith in the hearts of each and every person that's here and each and every person that's online. Holy Spirit, come. If you have the freedom to pray in the Holy Ghost, go ahead and do that. You have the freedom to pray in your prayer language. Lift your voice and pray in your prayer language right now. 
God, we give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Lord is raising up a generation of people. And when I say a generation of people, a remnant, I mean. I mean, obviously there's generations, so I don't mean just all generations. I mean, God is raising up a remnant, a group of people within a people that are going to walk in power and fire and anointing and authority and purity and holiness and see a nation, see the nations turn to Christ. That is God's will that the glory of the Lord would cover the earth even as the waters cover the sea. And the glory of the Lord is to be carried on men and women's shoulders, to be carried by people. Today is, marks the start of Purim. And Purim is a, uh, a holiday that is celebrated from the book of Esther. So as the sun was going down all over the world, Jews and non-Jews alike, those who were honoring and celebrating the time when God intervened and saved the Jews yet again. God constantly will intervene and save Jews over and over and over and over and over again. The devil hates Jews. And that Haman spirit is still operating through Iran, still operating through the spirit of, of Islam, Muslim, is still operating. That spirit of Haman that just wants to destroy Jews. You see, because if... If the devil could pull off the destruction of Jews, then he's proven that God doesn't exist. And that's why it'll never, ever happen. Biblically, it'll never happen. The fact that there actually is an Israel today, never mind that they would just move the capital to Jerusalem. It's so significant. You need to understand how significant we are, the days that we're in today. They are so significant. We stand on the precipice of the close of all time when prophecy could come to conclusion and, and, and that long-legged Galilean will throw his leg over that white steed and ride on out of heaven and pick us up. It could all come to completion. It could all come to completion. But they, they have a fast for these 24 hours, and they all read the book of Esther. So I just want to challenge you. You go home tonight and tomorrow. Would you read the whole book of Esther? It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful read, and maybe you haven't read it before, and that's what, that's what those practicing the celebration of Purim will do. They'll read through the whole book of Esther. And uh, I, I did that myself almost in its entirety. Not quite. I'll finish it. Later, But we're going to do an overview of the book of Esther and look at this girl Esther and what I would call the Esther anointing. So the book of Esther is the story behind the festival of Purim. Let me just kind of give you a, a backdrop. We just read a few verses, but a backdrop here. Chapter 1, the king is having a great party. It goes on for many days, and in his drunkenness, he decides to bring his wife, Queen Vashti, to come dance before him and the nobles. She doesn't want to do that, and she says no. It's just not something you would do to the king. He's disgraced. He gathers his wise men, and they say, you need to deal with her, otherwise we'll have unruly women. And uh, I'm just going to roll right through that. 
So she is dethroned. She's removed from the throne. And chapter two, they send out people to go look for the finest that they could find in all the land. Amongst those that are brought back is Esther. And her beauty is uh, uh, above all. And, and the scriptures talk about how beautiful it is, how beautiful she is. She goes through a beauty treatment. Ladies, you'll love this. You say, say, say I want the Esther anointing. Six months, she is soaked in myrrh. Six months treatment of myrrh. After that, six months of, of um, makeup and perfumes, cosmetics, it says. So she is basically prepared for the king for 12 whole months before, before she sees him. It's a picture of soaking in God's presence and power. It's a picture of the anointing. And so he goes in to see her and he's like, whoa, whoa. And he chooses her. He's more attracted and drawn to her than anyone else. Little does he know that she's a Jew. And she tells nobody her background. She's adopted by Mordecai, Uncle Mordecai. And so she's made queen. Let me, let me read this to you. This is chapter 2, verse 17. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. And she won his favor and approval more than any other virgins. So he set his royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And in chapter, it goes on in chapter 2, the Mordecai discovers this conspiracy. Mordecai is the uncle of Esther. Mordecai is who? The uncle of Esther who had adopted her. Mordecai is at the gate and he overhears a conspiracy to kill the king. So he tells Esther and it's told to the king and it's found out to be true. And those two guys are stuck on poles. They're killed. They get impaled. Pretty graphic. And, um, and then it's recorded that Mordecai basically saved the king. He foiled the conspiracy, and it's, it's written in this book. And so then this guy, Haman. Haman is elevated by the king in chapter 3, and everyone has to pay honor to him and bow down to him. So while Haman's going through the gate, if you, if you go and look at this uh, verse 2 of chapter 3, all the royal officials of the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. He wouldn't what? He wouldn't kneel down or pay him honor. Well, why do you think that is? Because he's a Jew. And as a Jew, you can bow down to no one except God. Even, even at punishment of death. He was honoring God. He was honoring his faith. And he would not bow down to Haman. Well, Haman was a jerk. Maybe you've known someone like him before. He's filled with anger, filled with resentment, filled with pride. Demonized, really. Verse 5 says, when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down and pay him honor, he was enraged. That's more than angry enraged, is nearly out of control. 
Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea. Listen to this, jerk. (laughs) Having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. His anger, his enrage, his enragement, is that a word? He was so enraged that he didn't just want to kill the Mordecai, he wanted to kill all of his relatives and the entire race of Jews from where he came from. And so instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews, throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. In the twelfth year of King Xerxes, in the first month, the month of Nisan, The pur, that is the lot, and that's where Purim comes from, was cast in the presence of Haman to select the day and month. And the lot fell to the twelfth month, the month of Adar. You know what day that is? This day. That is this day. Starts today at sundown, goes all the way through to sundown tomorrow. In Esther 3.8, it says there's a certain people dispersed, and, and, and we read this, and, and he says they, they don't obey any of your customs, king. They don't obey your laws. It's because they have a law from the Lord. They have the law of the Lord. The law. And God intervenes in this attempt, this genocidal attempt on Jews, intervenes, and what ends up happening, and we'll look at this as we, as we begin to apply this to our lives, what ends up happening is Haman and his ten sons all die on the gallows instead of the Jews. They're wiped out instead of the plan to destroy the Jews. So God's speaking to us very simply tonight. The, the first thing is this. Satan always will attempt to destroy the Jews. And you will find anyone of an antichrist spirit, listen closely, anyone of an antichrist spirit will hate Jews and anyone of an antichrist spirit will attempt to destroy Jews and Israel and to try to wipe them from the earth. Why? Because, as I said, if, if the enemy can succeed in wiping out Jews and wiping out Israel, then he's proven that God doesn't exist. But guess what? God does exist. And Satan wants to destroy you. Satan wants to destroy you. You know, the the reality of the fact that that you've been able to overcome, the reality of of you breathing tonight, the reality of that you were able to come through all that you've come through and and, and, and that, 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 that challenge that you had in your family, the things that you went through when you were a kid, the drugs that you might have been addicted to, that horrible divorce that you were able to overcome, the abuse that you went through, the car crash, the sickness, the infirmity, the disease, the cancer, the stuff the devil tried to kill you with and you're still alive, that's an evidence that God's on the throne and the the devil's been defeated. The fact that you're here right now breathing, come on, take your pulse tonight. The fact that you're alive serving God in the house of God on a, on a Wednesday night. You're in the house of God on a Wednesday night. Come on, that's an evidence that God's on the throne. It's the truth of his word. But Satan wants to destroy us. He doesn't just want to destroy Jews. He wants to destroy Christians. 
and martyrdom is, is on the rise all around the world. But the blood of the martyrs will cry out and, and, and God will have his, the, the, his blood, the blood of the martyrs will cry out and God will redeem it. God will, God will move. God will champion them. You see, you'll see. And so there is an antichrist spirit that wants to disrupt that Haman spirit operating still in the earth just as it was on this day. Satan comes to destroy within. Everybody say Satan comes to destroy within. Yeah, well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? He comes to sow lies in your mind to get you to believe a lie. If he can get you, the power of the devil is in his lie. You have to come into agreement with his lies for him to have power over you. And when you come in agreement with his lies, you get yourself over into sin, then you move out from God's protective covering, and then you end up getting lumped by the devil. And distortions about who God is, distortions about who you are, distortions about the truth. See, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, but you're only free to the degree that the truth that you know. This might be a little complex. It's really simple, uh, really. As it's recorded in heaven, every single person here has been set free. The prison doors have been opened. You have favor, you have anointing, you have the blessing of God. But if, you, but if you have to choose to walk in that, you have to believe it. You see, if you think of yourself as a dirt bag, then you'll act like one. Come on, as a, man, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. You are what you believe. You aren't what you eat necessarily, but you are definitely what you believe. So the enemy comes to attack your self-worth. The enemy comes to attack your identity. The enemy comes to attack who you are. And if he can get you, if you look at, look at Jesus, the devil comes and he says, if you be the son of God, you know, when the temptation in the wilderness, if you be the son of God, if you're the son of God, if you're the son, of, he constantly questioning his identity and the enemy will come to you and lie to you on the inside. Who do you think you are? If you were worthy, if you're a man of God, I mean, over and over and over and over attacks will come from within. You have to drive them out of your thinking. You have to, you know, Eat the word of God to become a spiritual athlete. You need to renew your mind. You need to learn the word. But attacks do come from within. Attacks also come from without. People. 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 There's people. You know, can be mightily used by the enemy. Don't raise your hand. I know you know what I'm talking about. People can be mightily used, even demonically used. And so people can come, you know, they, they, they can be used by the enemy. And, and Paul talks about that. He even names them. Don't associate with them. They're, they're nothing but gang, they're gangrenous. They're gangrenous to you. Don't spend any time with Alexander as one of them. He's, he's gangrenous. I've turned him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. You look in 1 Thessalonians. I want you to see this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 18, now this is the Apostle Paul writing the church in Thessalonica in Greece. And he says this in verse 18, chapter 2, verse 18, 1 Thess 2, 18. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. Another version is Satan hindered our way. I've seen people and well-meaning say all, you know, Satan can't stop me. I, listen, the Lord is the one that has made a way for you. What, spiritual warfare, 
let me come down here to talk to you for a second. Spiritual warfare is, is, is the understanding that the finished work of Jesus, the finished work of the cross, the defeating of Satan has already taken place. And then you, as God's ambassador, washed in the blood, stand in the place declaring the authority of the finished work of the cross. So it's like you're a police officer. I've shared this before. Police officers, and I don't know if we have any here tonight. There's numerous police officers and state troopers, part of the church. They are empowered by whichever department they're from. I mean, how many of you know a police officer here doesn't necessarily have the same authority in California? Because there's a jurisdiction, right? I mean, you know, you're driving to Anchorage. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're driving to Anchorage, and boom, you see the Anchorage Police Department as soon as you cross over about Chugach, right? Or Chugach, right around there. Am I right? Why is that? Anybody know why that is? Yes, because that's the line for where Anchorage is. Spiritual warfare. You don't be intimidated in the spiritual warfare, but understand what you're doing is you're declaring the finished work of Jesus. It's like this. I know, devil, that you know that God defeated you, and I'm here to declare and remind you and to say that you've been, fin you've been finished at the cross, and I stand in the finished work of Jesus. You're defeated. In Jesus' name, I adjure you. That's the King James. Adjure. The devil hates King James. I bind you. I take authority over you. I command you to go in the name of Jesus. But I think the Apostle Paul was, had a pretty rich prayer life. I mean, he wrote most of the epistles. And if he could be hindered by Satan, I think it would be fair to say that he, Satan could probably hinder you. What do you think? Is that fair logic? Would we say that that's a possibility? It's a possibility. Do you think that Satan could hinder the church? Well, he'll try, right? But the gates of hell, the upper echelon, the authorities of hell will not prevail. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. But it does mean there's a fight. Prevail. Prevail. It, 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 it's going to try. No weapon formed against you will prosper. But it'll be like an axe being ground over your head at times. First Peter 5, 8. Be alert and of sober mind. I like this. Now, now think, think about this now. Think, when you read scripture, don't just read it. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Okay, be alert and of sober mind. Why? Devil is prowling around. Be alert. And of sober mind. What's sober? Well, that's not intoxicated. That's, that's having your wits about you. I was talking with one of our security guys, and he was saying, you know about pying, don't you? I said, pying? He said, yeah, you know, pying. That when you, when you clear a room, you know, when you come into a room, you've got to pie that room. I'm like, what do you mean? That we're standing there. He says, you know, you pie. You, 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 you come in and you, you start pieing. You, you, you take sections and you move around. You, you're pieing a room. 
That's sober-minded and alert. Some of you are just walking around like a fool, thinking any kind of thought in your own head and wonder why you're in such trouble. Be sober-minded. The devil would love to take you out. I think we need some spiritual pieing. Prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone he may devour. He's toothless for the believer that's of sober mind and alert. Come on, God's in control. Everybody say, God's in control. You can't come away from this festival of Purim and the, the life of Esther and Mordecai. And you know, do you know that this book, Esther, is the only book in all the Bible where the God is not mentioned? You will not find God, his name, in there. It's not in there. That's kind of cool. I just like that. But God is in control, and God places Esther in the right place at the right time. And I want you to know this. God has placed you in this time in history. He's placed you in the family even you're in. You might not be so happy about that, but some of you are, some of you are the rope holder in your family. I, I, I've said this over the years of being a part of this church any family, that any person that's come in and held on to the Lord, held on to the horns of the altar and got discipled and learned to tithe and learned to give and learned to serve and learned to walk the walk and talk the talk and live the life, their whole family gets saved. Sometimes it takes 10 plus years. I'm just being real. Sometimes it takes a long time. You know, some of your family's really stubborn. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you were pretty stubborn too, right? Sometimes I just wish the Lord might take like a spiritual two by four and help some people out. But he placed you in your family. And not everything that happened in your family was the Lord. And, and you could say amen to that. Yeah, that's, you know, the fallenness of mankind and parents can't give what they don't have. But we need to find God's purpose in the midst of our nightmares. And somehow God can take that. And come on, there's a silver lining in every cloud. God can take the situation you're in, the circumstances you're in, and turn it around. Come on, say, I'm in the right place at the right time. Some of you need to begin to say that because you're grumbling and murmuring and complaining. Lord, 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 do you even know? He knows. He knows where you're at. And not everything you're in is of the Lord. I mean, the enemy might be attacking you. People might be being mean to you. Some of you need to cut some people off. Listen, I don't have close friends that abuse me. I just don't have them. I used to have them long ago. But you're not going to be my close friend if you're going to abuse me. I'll minister to you. I'll cast the devil out of you. I'll lay hands on you. You'll be part of my church even. Unless you start causing division, then we'll ask you to leave. Listen, that's a biblical thing. I'm going over here. But some of you have attacks in your life because you've got people in your life that are destructive and painful. Listen, you need to love them, but you lovingly keep a distance. And you, you can help them. You're not supposed to hate them. You're not supposed to harm them. I know you want to sometimes. You're supposed to love them and forgive them. How many times? Well, Peter talked about that. 77 times 7. What is that? How, how, Dak, Jack. That's a lot. The same sin in the same day. 
I forgive you. If someone hauled off and had a, a spirit of slap and just wanted to slap me, you might get me the first time. And the second time, we'd be just a little bit, for, just within reach, maybe. Gosh, I just remembered a story. I, years ago, I would come to church and there was a guy that was relatively new and I was trying to get him in a, in a foundations class like we have here. There's foundation classes. Some of you, maybe you've been through that or maybe you're planning to or maybe you don't even know about it. It's, we have this book called The Purple Book and it's Foundations of Your Faith. And, and you need that. I mean, how many, you wouldn't build a building without a foundation. Would be a big mistake. Right, so the same in your spiritual life, better get a foundation, right? And so I was trying to get him in these different things. And every Sunday morning, I would see him in the lobby. And we would go and shake hands and be like, hey, man, what's up? And he had one of these deals. I don't know what the deal was, but he would try to hurt me every time we shook hands. He'd just be like, ah! And I'd just be like, yeah, what's up? You know, I'd squeeze back. I'd squeeze back, you know, not to, you know, you got to squeeze a little bit so they don't break your knuckles. You know, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Ladies don't have that. You guys are all sweet. You do other things. Okay. Yeah, you know, ladies. All right, anyway. So this happened week after week. And finally, I just said to myself, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to see if he actually will hurt, if he's going to hurt me. Is he trying to hurt me? And I just thought, I, I'm going to give him a, a shake. And if he just full on tries to crush my knuckles again, I'm going to let him do it. I know that's kind of a crazy thought. It might not have been the Lord. So I'm like, hey, man, good to see you. He's like, what's up? And he just like rolls my knuckles. And I'm like, ah! And he, he lets go, I'm like, why is it every Sunday you try to hurt me? He's like, because I want to hurt you. I said, okay. I said, we're not going to be shaking hands anymore. He's like, all right. I'm like, all right. Some of you have best friends like that. You wonder, those daggers all out your back. You just backstab. You know what a backbiter is? A backbiter is a backstabber that misplaced their knife. I don't know how we got onto all of that, but... Just enjoy it as an isolated whole. You're in the right place at the right time. But you have to do the right thing and you got to make right choices. You don't stay in the right place and you don't stay in the right time if you don't make the right choices. And Esther had an opportunity to disobey. She had an opportunity to not obey the word of Mordecai. She had an opportunity to not obey the Lord. She had, she had an opportunity, but she was constantly obeying the Lord. This drama plays out and counterattacks and attacks. As God speaks to us tonight, the first thing, you, you must be obedient. You must be obedient. Some people never learn to obey. 
And I think that's because they're in rebellion to authority. They're angry at their dad. They're angry at their mom. They're angry at their teacher. They're angry at their coach. They're angry at their former pastor. They're angry at their priests. They're angry. They're angry at the government. They're angry at their neighbor. They're angry at the postman. They're angry at the doctor. They're angry at their chiropractor. They're angry, angry, angry people. And if you don't learn, some of you are going to hate this. And, and the spiritual fruitcake, I'm, the spiritual, that spiritual fruitcake thing is rampant in this state. Here's the spiritual fruitcake statement. I am obeying God. I'm, I don't obey man. I obey God. Well, listen to me, honey. God puts authority in place. Now, there's abuse of authority. I suggest you distance yourself like the person that slaps or wants to crush your hand at a handshake. You distance yourself from people that are abusive. You, you, right, you don't have to submit under that. You can, you can choose to not be in their realm of authority, right? But there is healthy authority and spiritual authority. Say this, it, it's biblical, trust me. Spiritual authority is learned through submission to structural authority. And if you can't learn to submit to structural authority, don't tell me you're submitted to God because it's not, it's not true. You say, well, I just don't like, I know there's been a lot of abuse. And, and, and you know, honestly, this house is a place of healing from abuse of authority. It's one of the, one of the, one of the marks we have. We're a house of restoration. We're a place where you can come to if you've been in a weird, controlling, messed up theological church where people try to twist you in one side and out the other, you can come and get healed. I mean, it's not the only thing that marks us as a church, but it, it, it does mark us. Why? Because we're not going to control you. I'm not going to pick the color of your couch. Neither is any of my leaders. Not going to tell you who to marry. Just going to endeavor to give you God's word teach you, equip you to walk with Jesus and have the Holy Spirit lead you, guide you, direct you. You obey him. Now there's, a, there's, there's rules here. There's rules here. And if you violate those, you'll be removed. Hello? Hello? Right? I mean, you wouldn't let anybody just come into your house. Right? And do whatever they want to. Am I right? Come on, if somebody just came in your house and starts, goes right over to the cupboard where your mama's teacups are and starts smashing them, are you going to let them smash the teacups? Jack, they'd be dropped. Do you know what I'm talking about? Right? Hey, hey, stop, stop that. You got a breaking teacup spirit. We're going to set you free. <laughs> That's not a biblical thing, all right? I'm just throwing that shit, sort of trying to use an illustration to help people. You don't let anybody just, would you let anybody come in and take your stuff, take your kids, take your food? Would you let anybody come in? No, you got locks on your doors and you have guns. If you can borrow mine, if you want to, I've got lots. I mean, you know, we have guns, yeah. I remember somebody that helped move us a few years ago. They said, Pastor, I think you've become an Alaskan. I said, well, why is that? He said, dude, you got guns in every corner of your house. What's going on? I'm like, yeah. Secret compartments and round places, round bushes. Matter of fact, anyway. I don't 
have a gun, not tonight. The Lord won't let me preach with one. He told me not to. But I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into caring. I think it's great. Should be trained, should do it right. Amen. Yeah, I'm a member of the NRA too. And I live in Alaska. If you don't like it, move. I'm just saying. And I'll wear fur if I want to also. Where am I? Listen, if you're offended, I hit my head a few days ago. So I'm a little, you know, all right. I meant everything I just said. I could probably say a little nicer. Where are we? Oh, yeah, thanks. Authority. You wouldn't let anybody run in and take, take your stuff. Am I correct? Why? Because there's rules. There's right and there's wrong, and you're going to live by them. Amen? There's right and wrong in, the, in, in, uh, in laws. And there's, and there's the, the major problem in this day and hour is that we're voting. Hopefully you vote. If you're not registered to vote, get registered. We're voting in our society, in this culture, on what is right and wrong. So you, see, murdering a child, murdering a baby is never going to be right, no matter how much. You can vote on whether it's 45 miles an hour out here or 30. I think it should be moved up, but, you know, it's 30 miles an hour right out here. We can vote on that and maybe get that changed. You can't vote on what the Word of God says is wrong. You can't change the Word. What's wrong is wrong. What's right is right. And you can't vote on that. Man is not the center of all things. God is the center of all things. And His Word, His Word is a lamp unto our feet, a light upon our path, and it shows us what's right and wrong. So submission to authority is crucial. There is God-anointed and ordained authority. Well, she obeyed. And we need to learn to obey. We really do. And like I said, not, not all authority is godly. You have to learn to submit to authority. There's authority in the home. There's authority employee, employee, church authority, governmental authority. And the ultimate authority is God. And that's why they said, you're not going to talk in the name of Jesus anymore. And they said, dude, I'm sure they probably didn't say that. But <laughs> said, dude, far be it for us to obey you rather than God. And we can't help but see and, and testify about what we've seen and heard. So we're going to be talking about them, just telling you. Yeah, right. They come and try to take your Bible and say, you can't. I'll be rebelling. Yeah. Right, because there's a higher law. All right, balancing that can sometimes be a little tricky. We got to be willing to risk. Esther risked everything. If you're not willing to risk, then you're never going to get the breakthrough. If you're not willing to risk things, if you're not willing to risk and press, come on, we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and loved our lives not so much as to shrink from death. It can be terrifying at times when you're facing the breakthrough. What if I don't live? What if I don't live? If I perish, I perish, she says. I'm doing this thing. You see, for her to come before the king it was to basically put herself on the, on the block of getting killed because you weren't allowed just to come before the king. And when he lifts his scepter at her, it was his approval. And then he says, up to half my kingdom. Let's read that. Look at, uh, look at Esther 5. On the third day, verse 1, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. Now, that, that, that one verse right there is, 
She's standing. I mean, the tension. There's movies. Tremendous movies about this scene. She's standing there. The tension is, um, you could die. You're going to die or live right now. Here comes a decision. The king was sitting on his royal throne hall facing the entrance. And when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, comma, he was pleased. You're like, whoo, whoo. He's pleased with her and held out his scepter in his hand. So Esther approached and touched touched the tip of the scepter. And he says, what do you want? Up to half of my kingdom. And she says, well, I want you and Haman to come and have dinner with me. And I'm not sure this, this next part, but, you know, they go in there and have dinner and there and Haman's boasting to all his friends, I get to have dinner and all this stuff. And as they're there, he says, and it's a timing thing, but I don't know if she's like nervous to bring it out or, you know, it's just, it's tricky. So they're there, they have dinner with the queen and she's like, yeah, um, can you come back tomorrow? <laughs> so she does it again. So they're all there. I don't know why she just doesn't say she says, yes, uh, Come back tomorrow. And, you know, I didn't study this all out that, that well right there. Maybe there's a good reason I didn't find it, but, but maybe she chickened out too. I don't know. But you're going to have to risk. Faith is oftentimes spelled risk. Brings them back the second day and exposes the plan of Haman. And what ends up happening is that Haman gets killed. She prays and fasts. She prays and fasts. You know, prayer and fasting is part of this Esther anointing. I know of no greater way to have breakthrough in your life than to pray and fast. When you pray and fast, it will drop a bomb from heaven on whatever you're facing. I've said this before. It sounds semi-arrogant, but it's true. My wife can attest any major decision that we've faced when we fasted and prayed, we've never made a mistake that I'm aware of. In other words, we, we made the decision, prayer and fasting, and saw the finger of God, the hand of God, move us right into favor and purpose and destiny, breakthrough, provision, everything happened, and just watch God just do it, and here we stand today. And for every major decision we need to make in the church and every major decision we need to make for our kids, and, you know, prayer and fasting is just part of the way we live our lives. And it's not always, you know, um, uh, I've never done a three-day absolute fast, but this is, an, this is an absolute. Minister Gill, as he was raised in the church when he was a kid, they taught him about absolute fasting. Isn't that right? That means, and, and listen, I don't suggest you go and do that. You better get a good clearance from your doctor or something before. I don't want anybody going to heaven early. But absolute fast is no water, no food. Three days, is that right, doctor? That would be about as long as you want to do that. Do you get to breathe? Breathing, you can breathe. You, no water, no food, but you're allowed to air for three days. Listen, after that, you, you're, you don't make it after that, I don't understand. She prayed and fasted. There's, there's times of tremendous thrusting forward where the purposes of God can come to pass in ways that are beyond our imagination, exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all that we can ask or think. There are moments where you strike your arrows to the ground. There are moments of an incredible intensity. And if you don't, if you don't have that, that uh, 
like a son of Issachar, to be able to understand when that intensity comes, to give it everything you got. I mean, get your carcass out of bed and get praying. Push yourself away from the table and start fasting. Get in the Word and start to make those declarations. Take that prophetic word you just got and start speaking it. God, you're going to do this thing. You're going to release this, this blessing. You're going you're to release your promise. God, you send forth your word. It doesn't return void. And you begin to declare that. There's moments of intensity that, that are not like at other moments. Moments. And knowing when those are, I've seen people ride this, you know, they, they could have gone from glory to glory to glory, which is God's intention, but instead they, they, they get touched, they get saved, that's glory, then God begins to call them into a deeper walk to push themselves away from the things of even time, tradition, and some of the sin that he's allowing or having a grace until you wake up. And then you hold on to your sin, and he's like, oh, snap. And, and then it's just like you begin to distance. I've seen couples come in the church and, and they get convicted about fornicating. They're not married and they're just all shacked up and they get convicted and they come and ask a leader or they'll ask me or my wife, oh yeah, we'll show them in the word. And they were like, oh man, we're renting together. We, you know, we can't afford. Tithing was one thing. We can't afford to daycare, um, you know, I, I don't, I, we don't make enough money. Listen, I understand that. I've been there. I understand. The question is, who are you going to bow down to? You're going to bow to the feet. You're going to have a God that can't give you enough money to live holy? Are you serious? Are you talking to me? Are you talking to me right now? If you purpose in your heart, God will do miracles for you. He'll give you a raise. And I can tell you endless testimonies, but many people at that, they're just like, that's impossible. So they begin to back away. And the Lord's like, I love you, but you're going to have to go around the mountain. You know, praise God for 40 years in the desert. Your shoes don't wear out. You know, you might make it to heaven. Fornicators don't make it to heaven. I mean, that's biblical, right? It's in the Bible. I'm going to get encouraged by Kelsey. You guys look terrifying right out there. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Preach, Pastor Daniel, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, or chapter 9, verse 6. I don't know which one it is. It's in the Bible, in the New Testament. All right, everybody say fast and pray. But God will call you away from things to bring you to another level of glory another level of reward and blessing, but if you're not willing to push yourself away from some stuff and let go of some things, come on, here we go read Romans 1. They didn't want to let go of stuff, so God gave them over to it. Listen, God's not a pansy. And he's not a cosmic bellhop ready for you to come and, come and do whatever you ask him to do. I heard some, gosh, we... We were at Alaska, and we were in a sauna. <laughs> I don't know. It's like open heaven over saunas in Alaska or something. And, you know, it's a co-ed, so there's everybody wearing their beach wear or whatever they're wearing. Anyway, we got into talking, and, and there were some folks. Uh, they were high school students. One was, a, one was a young lad who's raised in a Christian home. His parents are on fire for God. And I knew that because I, that we could hear the conversation, you know, these two people talking, well, I don't know, you know, I'm a senior and I'm going to go to school and, 
and uh, got scholarships. And, you know, uh, if, if it's like my mom and dad say, then I'm probably going to hell when I die. I mean, that's, that's these two people are talking. I'm like, oh, yeah, we've got a conversation. <laughs> and the other guy, which is a teacher, oh, oh, I know that guy, who's a teacher in the school. So here's a Christian kid raised in a Christian home talking to a teacher in the school, and the teacher's like, well, dude, it, it, it's most likely not like your mom and dad says. So at that nonsense, I couldn't help but get myself in trouble. And so I said, I said well, I, meanwhile, I'm starting my conversation. I'm interrupting. So Pastor Gannon was sitting next to me, so I had some comfort right there, and the Lord was with us. So... I said, uh, well, I'm going to uh, go with mom and dad, bro. Yeah, there's a place called hell. Yeah, I'm going, I'm a, I'm, my vote's with your mom, dad. I just looked at the guy. He's like, oh, yeah, all homosexuals are going to hell. And I just said, man, God loves people, bro. And I just shifted because you want to get into all this, like, you know. People need the love of God. He wanted to pitch his tent about everyone who's going to hell. God's trying to get something to you. He's not trying to take something from you. He's trying to bless you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to get you to fulfill the purpose for which you were made. He longs to wrap his loving arms around you and, and satisfy you with the rivers of his pleasure that come from his right hand, according to the Psalms. God has pleasures forevermore and things for you that you can't even imagine. But you grovel. You might be groveling and scraping to try to get that from some relationship or from some bottle or, or from some, some illicit thing to try to ease your pain or try to sedate yourself. I'm telling you, God's got something for you that you'll step away from all of that and you'll begin to embrace the, the, the loving arms of the Lord Jesus Christ and be set free. And when he, get, when he blesses you then with healthy, righteous marriage and all of that, it's a beautiful thing. And they walk in the blessings of God. Amen. Can I have some musicians, Levites, please return to the. Toby, just jump on the key straight right up the stairs and everybody else can stay, stay down there, please. Love you. You're awesome. Praise God. Just the black, just the black keys, though. It's the, pen, the pentatonic scale. I'm not making a racial thing. It's a pentatonic scale. I, I'm, I'm also joking. Unless you can do that, and then go ahead. <laughs> Just be yourself, man. It's all good. All right. Let me wrap this up. Purim. We got to celebrate. We got to celebrate our deliverance. The Jews were delivered. You've been delivered. Some of you may not realize it, but you've been delivered. As I said earlier, as it stands recorded in heaven, the prison doors are thrown open. You might as well just leave and go live your life. You don't have to be bound. You don't have to be addicted. You don't have to be afflicted. You don't have to be oppressed. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to tolerate the Haman. You can overcome. Celebrate what God's done. And that's what they do. You know, you go and you look at chapter 9. In verse 2, they begin to have this incredible celebration. They celebrate. They rejoice in God's goodness. Listen, make it a lifestyle to rejoice in His goodness. 
in the hardest times of our life, and we've had a few, maybe not as, as many as you have, but they were hard for us. And I have no doubt, being part of the human race, we will go through more hard times together. Nobody wishes for them. We don't hope for them. But though we're hard-pressed and crushed, perplexed, I am convinced that there is no devil, no demon, there's no angel, there's nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not one thing. Not one thing. And in times of tremendous pressure and grief, we just dial our heart to, to just go, man, you're good though. You're good. Don't understand this right now, but you are good. You are good. I celebrate you. I celebrate your goodness. I celebrate the fact that you delivered me. You healed me. You set me free. Oh. And then at the end of chapter 9, this Purim is established in verse 20. And, and I'd encourage you to go read it. And it marks the date, which we're on tonight. It starts tonight for Jews all over the world. A declaration that you could be at the right place at the right time. The Esther anointing. I believe is knowing that you're adopted. We're all adopted. Grafted in. Washed by the blood. Gentiles, most, not all, but, but most, brought in. The dividing wall's been broken down. His veils, the veil of his flesh torn through the... We can boldly come before the throne of grace. We can boldly come before the king like Esther did. But you know, there's a whole worship pattern here too, and I don't want to miss it. You, you don't want to just rush right into the throne room. Do you know you ought to examine your heart? I mean, he's a holy God. You ought to take a look. That's the six months of myrrh. What's myrrh? That's, a, that's used in embalming. I'm not saying you get six months of repentance, but I mean, you live a lifestyle of repentance. Examine your heart every day. How are you doing? You see anything? You look at anything you shouldn't have looked at? Do you say something you shouldn't have said? Were you mean-spirited? Did you abuse somebody? Come on, where are you at? Examine your heart. And, and then, you know, then this beauty trip, it's a picture of, of soaking in God's presence and power and then coming into His presence. It's, it's this beautiful picture. Esther, right place, right time. Having faith. It's released and favor released through prayer and fasting. We've got to fast and pray. We're going to build this building. I said, we're going to build this building. And if you think it's going to pop up like a, like a little daisy up on the hill, you're mistaken. Oh, it doesn't appear to be much battle right now. We've overcome quite a few. Brother Wally, haven't we? Just enjoy it right now. Just hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. Come on, you, you, you enjoy it right now. I, there's no, no great battle that I can, I even hate saying it. I don't believe in jinxing. I just know, you know, devil prowls around. We've been able to overcome the fact that we have a property, the fact that all that's gotten done, we're a week away from our loan being funded. I say, these are exciting times. They're exciting. 
Is there any more battle? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, there is. And you've got to be willing to risk it all if you're going to enter into everything that God has for you. Eagle River, God wants to save all of Eagle River. And there's a move of God coming even to the military, even to the military that are there. I've placed you there and I'm giving you other people. I'm giving you people. You, you know and have a sense where your strengths and where your weaknesses are. And I'm going to shore up and make a team. I'm calling in people, says the Lord. I've already begun to, spoke to speak to them. And even from outside the house, people that'll move into the area, people that you're going to connect with. And I see God pouring out His Spirit on the base. Eagle River. God, give us, give us the building. Help resolve this building challenge. We're in a battle right here. Fasting and praying, being in the right place at the right time, willing to risk everything, having wisdom, having an understanding of timing. You know, timing's important. The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Say that with me. The right thing at the wrong time. Wrong thing. I've seen people rush into marriage. Oh, they should have waited. Oh! Come on, lift your hands to Jesus all across this place. Do you get anything? Me too. Stand up on your feet and let the Holy Spirit just begin to touch you. Ask God to help you. Come on, pray for pray for an unction of heaven and no timings. Celebrate the deliverance that He's given through His Son's death and resurrection. Lord, we celebrate the fact that we don't have to be bound. We don't have to be addicted. We are not afflicted because of Your blood. Because of Your blood. Lord, we worship you and glorify you. Come on, lift your voice. Service is almost over. Come on, worship and thank him right out loud. Lord, thank you. Lord, there's no one like you. All right, whole worship team, come on up. Let's sing this, Brother Toby. This is the truth of God's word for you. Don't roll, you won't kick down, no lie, you won't tear down. Coming after me, yes, yes. There's no shadow, you won't light up. Mountain, you won't climb up. Coming after me. Okay, you're here tonight and you're facing a battle. You have a battle. It might be a legal battle. It might be a battle in your family. But you realize, man, there are forces that are really trying to undermine me, hurt me, or take me out, discourage me. If that's you, quickly come to the front. Come on, you need that Esther anointing. You need favor. Wow. That's a lot of people. I thought maybe maybe 10 or 15. No, no. A lot of people facing battles. Come on, let's sing this. And as we do, you know that split the sea part? Just know that he's going to do that for you. He's going to bring you right through. Amen. Come on, lift your voice and sing with all your heart. Yes. There's 
Say, Lord, before your throne I stand, and I ask tonight that you would deal, that you would release your judgments over this situation, over my life, for the glory of God. I submit to you. I submit to your timing and I ask you for favor in Jesus name amen put your hands together for God every head bowed every eye closed just right where you're at if you're not right with God won't you give your heart to Jesus for the first time or make a recommitment to him if you drifted if you drifted away, make a recommitment. Let's pray this right out loud. Repeat after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me of all of my sin because Jesus died on a cross for me and rose again from the grave for me. And come into my life. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Thank you for loving me. Give me a hunger for the Word of God. A desire to live for you in every area of my life. I won't believe the lies. I want to know your truth. Fill me with your Spirit and use me for such a time as this. Even like Esther, use me to affect a whole nation. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen.